Well, good morning, Baseline. Great to see you. Great to be here. Um, my name is Mark Miller, and it's a privilege to, to come off the bench and to preach this week, to share the message. Um, we're in an ongoing series, which we've called appropriately, For Such a Time as This. For such a time of this, there, as this, there's snapshots from the book of Acts um, on the incredible journey and the spread of the gospel where the ordinary men and women or the disciples and apostles of the time, um, by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, uh, God changed the world through them. And we've looked at several snapshots over the last couple weeks to glean from it the importance of uh, what it means for us for such a time as this. We looked at the importance of waiting as a discipline of the faith, as something that God seems to bless as an act of faith. We looked at how um, the Holy Spirit um, was poured out upon those early disciples in Acts 2, and how they then gathered, and I might add, persevered in prayer, and, and how important that was to the early church. And this morning, we come to the importance of the living Word of God. And we want to explore how essential this is to transforming us um, and equipping us to be used by God for his purpose, the living and eternal word of God. There's well over 30 examples in the book of Acts, in the 28 chapters of Acts, where the disciples used the scriptures of God to speak to the circumstance of the moment, to speak to and through them. There's Acts 2 at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes and they're speaking different languages and everybody thinks they're drunk and Peter says no. And he draws from the prophecy of Joel that this is now the promise being fulfilled, the promised Holy Spirit. There are numerous uh, references to the messianic prophecies in the Psalms about Jesus. And then, of course, in Acts 8, when the Ethiopian eunuch is reading from Isaiah 53, Philip, who happens to be there, says, do you know what you're reading? And introduces him to Jesus. And so in each of these situations, Guided by God's Spirit, the disciples link what's happening to the truth of the eternal Word of God. And so often we think about this in reverse. We want to make the Bible relevant to our circumstance instead of always making the circumstance relative to the living and eternal Word of God. And God calls us to this same task, to this same journey, to be grounded in the Word such that God can use us being reminded that before God can do anything through us, he must first do a work in us. So this morning we want to look at what does it mean for the word to work its way into our lives so that we can be a vessel for how it impacts the world, just as it did for the early disciples. And for such a time as this. Um, I had an interesting experience the other day. Our daughter um, brought our granddaughter and grandson to hang out in the backyard to kind of create some space for them. And I wasn't there for this, but... Linda happened to observe while our three-year-old was on a Zoom call. I can't imagine running a Zoom call for three-year-olds, but her preschool hosted this. They had all the three-year-olds on a Zoom call, and the question that the teacher asked was a good one. She said, today, we're gonna talk about big feelings. Great question, what big feelings are you having? Imagine asking that to three-year-olds. So they went around the Zoom call, and of course, Violet said, what's your big, when answer to the question, what's your big feeling, Violet? She says, I'm feeling happy. And then she moved on and she went to Billy and said, Billy, what's your big feeling? And Billy said, angry. And the, the teacher paused and said, well, okay, that's a, a big feeling. Now, Linda actually thinks that Billy didn't say angry, that Billy said hungry. 
which might sound the same, but if you think about it in this time, they kind of go together, right? In fact, angry and hungry, I didn't know this, but hangry, H-A-N-G-R-Y, is actually a word in the dictionary. It means to be angered over hunger. So it's a fair question for us to acknowledge, right? And wrestle with what are the big feelings that we have? Everything from fears and anxieties and confusion. And our temptation is to look to the outside world for information. There's so much stuff flying around there, right? I mean, TV viewership by some estimates is up like 60%. Netflix is up 40%. Binge watching has become a norm. And there's so much information out there that it's hard to discern the truth. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said, a lie can travel around the world before the, before, before the truth has its shoes on. That's a great quote. And so in times like this, it's ever more important for God's word to become a, an essential discipline to not allow circumstances or doubts to speak louder than the eternal word of God. And that's what we wanna ground ourselves in is his word this morning such that, and this is our prayer, the word of the Lord would do the work of the Lord by the spirit of the Lord through us as the people of God. That's our prayer this morning to understand what that means. So we'll look at three things. We'll look at why it's so important to study and immerse ourselves in the living word of God, how we do that, and then quite frankly, how that always introduces us to the who, the why, the how, and the who of scripture. And what does that mean for us this morning? So um, the best truth about scripture is found in scripture. And, and we'll, we'll center our, our attention on this verse from 2 Timothy where, where Paul talking to Timothy um, his beloved mentee, he says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and how from infancy you have known the scriptures which have, been made, which have made you wise unto salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. For all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for correcting, for rebuking, and training in righteousness that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for doing every good work. So why read the Bible? Well, it's God-breathed. There's no other book like it. It is the living Word of God. The Word of God is living and active. It is the most deep and open conversation as intended with its author, our Redeemer and Creator. In Job 33, it's 33, 4, it says this, The Spirit of God has made me, and the breath of the Almighty gives me life. Why engage Scripture? Because it is the very breath of God in the life of all eternity. I like how John Ortberg puts it. It's a quote from him that I'll paraphrase. He says, why read the Bible? Well, it generates life. It creates faith. It provides guidance. It makes the foolish wise. It makes the faltering strong, the discouraged hopeful. It's the first and best book for a child. It's the best and last book for a dying man. It's simple. It's deep. It corrects the erring, inspires the daring, encourages the, encourages the despairing, and humbles the overbearing starting to sound a little, like, a little bit like Dr. Seuss there. It tells us about ourselves, the calamity of our sin, and the deep and relentless love of God. It tells us about our identity, our purpose, and if that wasn't enough, we meet Jesus, the one of whom all scriptures bear witness, the one of whom it says in John 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as these early disciples engaged scripture, so can we, and thus become, as they were, emboldened, emboldened as image bearers and ambassadors for Jesus in any and all circumstances, including the ones we face today. 
So that's the why. Well, then there's the how. And I'm going to borrow from something that we've used over the years in different study guides. I want to give you just a little acronym, SOAP, S-O-A-P. And it's kind of funny how, at least for me, I'm a slow learner. And so I'm going to share with you during this part are things that I'm working on. These are kind of my homework assignments, and I, I welcome your thoughts on it. But these are things I'm still trying to figure out how to do in my own walk, in my own journey of faith. S-O-A-P, Scripture, Observation, ap Application, and Prayer. And if you think about soap, it's not inappropriate because there's a, a section in Ephesians 6 where Paul, speaking of the church, talks about the sanctification of the church through the washing of the water with the word. But like I said, I've got a long way to go and I'll pass along these ideas and <coughs> excuse me, I'll, I'll look forward to hearing yours. So first, scripture. Well, it's so important when we engage scripture, not to just read it, but to soak in it right, to kind of stick with this washing analogy, right, to ask God up front to meet us in Scripture as he has promised to do, and to do our part by removing anything or everything that would get in the way of hearing and experiencing him in his word, and ask for him to give us a spirit that is undistracted and surrendered in mind and heart. I love what it says in Isaiah 50. It says that the sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens me as one to listen, as one being taught. So the first premise here is to open our minds and hearts and really not just read the scripture, but to marinate in it, to rest in it. And yes, to meditate on it, to read it over and over, to see what words speak out, to read it slowly. And as words or phrases stand out, ask God what that's about. That's what meditation is. And if you're like me, you might say, well, I don't really know how to meditate. I don't meditate very well. I've never taken a class on meditation, but I've come to the conclusion that actually, if I know how to worry, which I'm pretty good at, and you know how to worry, then you actually do know how to meditate. Because really, worry is just unfocused, unhealthy meditation of rolling over and over the things that, are, that, you, that make you anxious or fearful, right? And our mind is naturally drawn to that. So the challenge here and the, the opportunity is basically to say, no, let me meditate on God's word. Let me keep that as my sole focus. Worry drags me down. Scripture will build me up because I meet the one true and living God. And as we do that, two things happen. One, we will always, repeat, always, gain new insights and guidance and loving conviction from the Lord, as well as freedom in him. And the second thing is we are training this wonderful muscle of our mind to focus. It's a God-given gift. We're training it to engage the word and the author, the true author of all wisdom and grace, the true source. And so we marinate, we meditate in scripture and then we observe. What does it mean? Well, building on that first point, it's sort of like going through it over and over and, and rehearsing, not rehearsing it, but, but engaging it in our minds. It's like a, ch a cow who, who chews its cud, right? It means to turn it over and over in your mind and read it. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, build a bridge between the meaning of the text and your current circumstance and application to your life. One writer states that we often miss the power of the word by 18 inches. We keep it at a safe intellectual distance in our heads, and we miss it by 18 inches, the difference from our heads to our hearts. I think that's a quote by R.C. Sproul's. 
And so we mull that over in our minds and our text this morning that we looked at gives us some clues on how to do that, right? How to cultivate this observation, right? To have a spirit of curiosity. If you noticed in that passage, it says that the Bible is useful for four things, teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So that gives us four questions that help in our observation. First question, what, what am I learning? What do I learn from this? That's teaching. What do I need to change? That's rebuking. How can I change it with God's help? That's correction. And how can I maintain or sustain that change in my life? That's training in righteousness. So as I observe, as we observe, those are the four questions that we're always asking ourselves before the Lord. And in doing that, we go from getting into the word to the word getting into us from reading the Bible to letting the Bible, in fact, lead us, and it will. Don't fight it, invite it. In Hebrews 4, it talks about the Word being a double-edged sword. And the truth of this is that any time we read the Word, there is a high, if not universal likelihood, we're going to encounter something that we're not going to like, we're not going to want to hear. Don't fight it, invite it. And that image of a sword in Hebrews 4 is not very inviting. A lot of us, when we come to the Bible, we say, well, I, I come to the Bible to be encouraged, not to be carved up, right? But I love the way how Eugene Peterson references that passage from Hebrews 4. Here's what Eugene Peter, here's what Peterson translates in his word of the message. He said, God's word is as sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, a different image, a surgeon's scalpel cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. And I might add, leave us open to healing. It's like the, the careful lancing of an infected wound or the careful remover, removal precisely of a cancerous tumor, something that I can really relate to. So think about that as, as we think about this idea of the word, right, being living and active, being a scalpel or a sword. Um, some months ago, I was with my dad. His caregiver was off for the day, and we spent the day together. And it happened to be a day when I was going into my own medical doctor to have a, like a skin tag removed from my face. So, of course, he numbed it up a little bit and kind of carved a chunk out and was sending it off for biopsy. And I was sitting there, and of course, I had my dad along. How rare is that, that your dad gets to accompany you on your own medical appointment? It was kind of interesting. They'd say, what's your medical history? And there he was at almost 100 years old. I said, well, you're looking at it right? It's kind of interesting to have my half of the gene pool, one half of the gene pool sitting there in the doctor's office. But after he took this off, he looked at my dad and they had a little conversation and he looked at my dad's nose and my dad spent a lot of time surf fishing in his younger days. And the doctor looked at him and says, you know, you might want to get that spot checked out. That looks very suspicious for cancer. My dad's almost hundred years old. Now think about it. What would we say in that instance? Well, how dare you point out that spot on his face? I think it's kind of cute. That's kind of rude to just offer that kind of feedback right out of the chute when you don't even know this fine gentleman. Did we say that? Of course not. We said, thank you. And thankfully, we did get it checked out. It was cancerous. It did need to be removed. And so that's the way the word of the Lord works. We need to invite it, not fight it. We need to confide, not hide. And if I might add, our self is gonna put up a fight. We might try and finesse this. Don't finesse it, confess it. We need to yield ourselves to the word as it does its work. So that's our observation. A stands for, well, I said application, but I wanna add something to that if you don't mind. 
an A for amplification, all right? As you rest with a passage, commit to resting with it throughout the day. Commit to anchoring one key thought or truth and taking it with you throughout the day. Let it become both a bookmark to your day and a bookend to your day. It'll become a grounding force for you. I've thought about this. I, I'm, I, uh, even this past week, I'm privileged to be a part of the men's Bible study that meets for an hour on Tuesday mornings. I don't make it every week, but when I do, I'm struck by the fact that the hour goes by so fast. And, and just about every week, Paul Settles, who kind of facilitates it at the end, says, well, we've run out of time and we didn't get to some of the questions or we've run out of time. And gosh, it seems like this is a really important issue. And so there's sort of this sense of disappointment that we're having to stop after one hour when there's so much more. But I thought about this. More important than that hour of studying God's word, as important as that hour of studying God's word, is what happens next. What do I do next with what I've learned? And so often we see it as though the end, when really it's the beginning. In fact, if I may, more important than what you're thinking and resting with now, or what I'm resting with now as I'm talking about this, is what I do next as I move forward to applying the word. It's like in a basketball game that's really intense and the coach calls a 20-second timeout. He calls his team over to settle them down and focus them. That 20-second timeout in a competitive sports event is incredibly important, but as important as it is, what's more important is what happens after the timeout. When I get back in the game, will I execute the play? And that's the way it works with the study of scripture. So as you study it in the morning in a quiet time or in a Bible study, anchor it throughout your day. Come back to it as though, just as you're turning through the pages of a book of life throughout your day, the scripture serves as a bookmark throughout to keep you anchored. And I thought about this this week. I have shared this story before, but my beloved mother lost her eyesight in her 80s, right? And she was a, a strong memorizer of scripture. She memorized the Psalms and it was so special to her to memorize them in the King James Version. And she would do that. And as her eyesight began to deteriorate rapidly through macular degeneration in her 80s, she actually would write out the Psalms in big letters so that she could still see them. And then as she would memorize them, when her eyesight was gone completely, of course, she could remember them long into her 90s long after she couldn't see. So I, I actually keep those as a bookmark. Some of her pages, right? This is actually Psalm 63 in my mother's printing. She would write it out and then memorize it. So I, I share that because number one, it speaks to the power of letting God's word anchor itself through memorization. But I keep this as a bookmark in my Bible. And I'm just suggesting that in this instance, as you anchor throughout the day and keep coming back to that passage, guess what? The font will become larger. It will make even more sense and it will, it will tell you something. It will inform your circumstances, your walk with Jesus. So we use it as a bookmark throughout the day. And then a bookend at the end. A bookmark, a bookend at the end. Always commit to ending your day by resting in that passage or that section of scripture. And you'll find, you'll be reminded that the loving providence and the perfect will and wisdom of God found in his eternal truth is always a soft pillow, always a soft pillow. But the second part 
of this, in addition to amplification, is application. And this is where I have to say, of course, it's a tough one, right? Um, no matter what we say, no matter what we say we believe, what really matters is what we do. That's why James would say in his epistle, don't merely listen to the word because then you deceive yourselves. Do what it says. The person who hears but doesn't do is like a person that looks in the mirror and then immediately forgets what he looks like or listens in the time out and then forgets to execute in the game. And so he said, don't be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Jesus didn't teach to increase people's knowledge. Jesus taught to transform lives, to change lives. And that's where application comes in. And this is a moment of truth, isn't it? We're all at risk of this. I've shared this before, but this is, again, like I said, my homework assignment. Alistair Begg refers to this as progressive spiritual atrophy, which means the more I hear the word, the more I keep hearing it, without heeding it, or the more I hear it without applying it, eventually I will lose my ability to even hear it. The more I look at myself in the mirror and continue not to act on it, you're gonna forget to eventually, I'm not gonna see myself in the mirror anymore. And so we're all at risk of that. We need God's help to do that, lest we deceive ourselves. And the third A that I would add, but I don't have time to really talk about it, is accountability. God has connectedness in the body of Christ. And as we make commitments going forward, as we, as we want the word to really change and transform our lives, we need each other to help, help us, to hold each other mutually accountable for our journey of faith. So we seek not just to read the Bible, but to truly rest in it, to soak in it, that's S. We seek not to just observe the Bible, but to let it ro ro roil over in our hearts to ask ourselves questions, to let it do its work, even if it's the tough work. What does it say in Psalm 26? Test me, Lord, try me, examine my heart and mind because your love is ever before me and I walk continually in your truth. And then we seek to amplify it throughout our day and apply it in our daily lives. So that's the S, the O, and the A. And that then leads us to the P for pray. And this is where we go from the why of scripture to the how of scripture, to the who of scripture. See, prayer connects us with the source. It's a reminder that as we engage God's, God's word, apart from the Holy Spirit's work in my life, apart from the Holy Spirit's prompting in my mind and heart, the Bible is a closed book to me. I cannot understand it. I can study it, I can talk about it, I can debate it, I can maybe even memorize it, but apart from the Holy Spirit's work, I will not make a difference in my life. And so I pray as I read, we pray as we read, that the Holy Spirit would in fact make it real to us. And that prayer, that, that fellowship is an act of submission and surrender. It's like the simple prayer that Linda put in the blog a couple of weeks ago, which she borrowed from AA, right? It means coming to the end of ourselves. I cannot carry out that which God calls me to do in his word apart from his power and his presence. So the little prayer from AA, the recognition from AA is this. I can't. God can. I think I'll let him. And so as I encounter the truth of scripture, that's my prayer. God, I can't. I can't. You can. I let you. That's where we end in terms of praying the scriptures, the word into our life. 
So God, I can't, you can't, I think I'll let you. I ask you for guidance, your protection, your wisdom, your discernment, your power to lean into and live out that which you say in your word. I can't, you can. I surrender and let you. And then to borrow another phrase from AA, I ask God, what's the next right thing? Do the next right thing. One of the things that's clear in Jesus' teaching is that he didn't give people long lists of things to do. He gave them the next right thing because he wanted them to walk every step of the way. What's the next thing and the next thing and the next thing? Guided and guarded by him and his word and guided by the Holy Spirit. That's why in Psalm 19, it says that the word is a lamp to my feet. It's not a crystal ball and it's not a lighthouse. It's a lamp to my feet, one step at a time, walking with him who is the light. So like I said, these are some of my homework things in wrestling and resting with what it means to anchor the word in my life. And I'll leave you with one more. I think it's John Piper who said that whenever we encounter the word, wherever we hear the word being preached, we should always be asking ourselves two questions. What is God saying to me? And what does God want to say through me by his grace and guidance to someone else? And this is a big growing edge for me. But as you pray, as you rest with the word, who comes to your mind? Who might need a word of encouragement? Who might need the word of God prayed over them? And I am sure that there are lots of circumstances that we don't know about that happen in our midst. But one that just really struck me, and it, this is shared with permission, and that is uh, Maddie Kim. Maddie, as some of you know, came back from a, a mission stint in Australia, getting ready to work with YWAM. And of course, this whole COVID thing has set a lot of that on edge or whatever, but she came back and, and she, over the last couple of weeks, has sent Linda voice messages on her cell phone of just praying a psalm over her. Think about that. A young woman at the beginning of her ministry in life in her late teens, sending a voicemail message of a prayer of the Psalms that's been around from eternity over someone that's in her 60s, right? Entering the last phase of life and ministry. That's the beauty of the body of Christ and the power of the word. We need each other. We need each other to speak and preach and say the word over each other in prayer for consideration. So ask yourself as you, as you rest with the word this week, who might need a word of encouragement, the word of encouragement from God and his word this week? And as the Holy Spirit prompts, act on this. Well, we need each other. We need to speak and share and pray God's word over each other. And as we do that, the word of God does the work of God by the Spirit of God and the people of God. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord, we are so humble and grateful for your word. How in it we encounter you in all your glory, your truth, your humility, your wisdom, your grace, and, oh Lord, your redemptive love. Lord, do your work in us, oh Lord that we may become fully available to you. We give ourselves and surrender ourselves to your work and to your word. We pray this through the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Have a great day.